Amen. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also de descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceit, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Great to be with you. My name is Darren, and I do serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, kids, I want to tell you that I'm especially happy for you to be with us this morning, but I do need your attention for a quick minute, and I promise that I will make it worth your while. So uh, today is Doodle Sunday where we invite the kids to be with us, and as a special bonus, um, you know, we've had, to, uh, we've had some staffing shortages in our nursery, and uh, so we don't have a nursery today, so we have a lot of kids with us. So that means that kids, I need you to do a really good job paying attention, looking on the screen, listening to do all the drawings, I need you to not get up. Um, and if you do a good job and you bring a parent with you, um, I have wanted to do this for a long time, and uh, I've been denied by funding shortages on the staff, so I decided to make, give you a gift of an awesome prize at the end. This is a glider that, let's see if I can knock over the camera. Um, We'll go really far, <laughs> and we are going to have a glider war outside after church for those of you who do a good job listening, right? And um, I'll be giving you some instructions on this uh, after the service. I'll actually need that back. Um, so yeah, this is uh, Shana. Shana chipped in from the ministry, and you know, I uh, voluntold Chrissy that we were chipping in <laughs> to help cover this because. Um, and Shana said, "What's the connection to the passage?" And I'll be honest with you, I said. The connection is that it's awesome, that flying is awesome, and this is an awesome passage. I did realize late this morning that in verse 14, it talks about us being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and so we can get, illustrate that in the plane, right? I can do some interpretive gymnastics to make it fit. But no, the real reason, the authentic reason, is just that it's awesome. And um, so I hope you enjoy that, and I hope you listen well. 
And I hope we bought enough. <laughs> so we'll find out. So uh, thank you, uh, Autumn, for reading this passage. Let me pray for our time together. Father God, we thank you uh, for our time together. And Lord, as we come and sit under these words, I recognize that we do come from all kinds of different places. Uh, some of us come here today uh, filled with wonder, filled with uh, expectation, filled with hope. But Lord, others of us have come in uh, these doors, and today is a day of sadness. Um, we are in a season of grief in our lives. Um, things are not well. Lord, and I recognize uh, that many of us come in this and in, in these doors healthy, our bodies function well, and others of us come with uh, profound illness or brokenness and suffering in our bodies. And Lord, lastly, I recognize that some of us come here full of faith in you. Lord, we, we believe that the words that Autumn read are the words of life, uh, and that there's nowhere else to go, and yet others of us are here with a faith that feels as though it is barely existent at all. And some of us, no doubt, are here um, convinced that these words are not real, that these are not the words of life. Lord, I pray whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are here in a season of blessing or in a season of hardship, whether we are here with functioning bodies or broken bodies, whether we are here uh, with a vibrant faith or with no faith at all, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same. We all have come in this room uh, with an overwhelming need to connect with you in a substantial way, to know you, to be changed by you. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning, that together as a community, uh, as a diverse group of people from all kinds of different places, I pray that we would behold Jesus Christ together in these scriptures, I pray in his name, amen. Well, kids, good morning and welcome. Uh, we're gonna get into the passage. What I wanna do is um, start by asking the kids to do their first drawing so kids, I want you to draw people who look different from one another, uh, worshiping together in the same church, okay? So that will stay up on the screen. I want you to do that here, uh, and we will give you other instructions shortly. So I want to set up the sermon for you. You know, I mean, I have a, one of the hacks I developed in pastoral ministry, you know, anyone here ever going to go into ministry or... You know, where Roman is somewhere. One of the great hacks that I developed, you know, later in my ministry was I uh, found a group of guys uh, that wanted to meet together for discipleship on Wednesdays. We call them the Wednesday men. Can never change the schedule. And uh, what I do sometimes, not every, not every time we meet, but I sometimes I say, here's the passage for the sermon. Why don't you guys tell me what you see in it, and then I'll steal your material and use it for the sermon. And it's really valuable because they give me this super valuable feedback. And, you know, one of, the, one of the brothers this time, he said, Darren, like, why are you doing this passage for our last week? This is like, you know, what are you saying in this? And so I thought, you know what, I better share my heart with you. Um, for those of you who don't know, if you're new to the church, uh, I'm the founding pastor. I started in, my first day was May 19th of 2011 when, my, when our presbytery uh, established Ironworks, gave me a call. Um, I accepted that call. And... Uh, I had a mentor, give you a little bit of the story, I had a mentor named Terry Trailer. He was my coach assigned to me to assist in planning this church and was a super, super man. And um, in 2013, uh, I called him and just, you know, had some coaching questions. And in the pro progress of that conversation, he said, Darren, he said, you know, I know you're not, you're only, you know, a couple years into this thing. He said, but I do want to tell you something. He said, you are going to have to figure out what happens at year 10. He said, because most of the time, God tends to move on a pastor, founding pastor, at year 10, 
right? And I have a guy who didn't really listen to the Lord in that, and it really hurt the church. He said, so, you know, sometimes you stay for 30 years, but you got to figure out what happens in year 10. He said, call me tomorrow, and I'll tell you, I'll t- you know, we'll, we'll meet up over lunch, and, you know, Vietnamese food was his favorite, and I'll tell you more about this. It was a guy in Maine that he was referring to. So I said, Terry, that'd be great. I haven't seen you in a while. would love to do that. So I woke up the next morning, you know, and back then I was on Facebook, right? Um, ugh, not, you know, I don't be on Facebook anymore, but I was on Facebook and I woke up to a message that Terry had a, heart, had a heart attack that day. And I never got to finish the conversation with him. And that has haunted me for all these years. Um, but as you would know, as it would turn out in the Lord's providence right around year 10, um, maybe a little bit, actually approaching year 10, I began to pray and ask the Lord this question. You know, God, what do you have for me? What's, what's going on? Because I love these people and I love this place, but I did, feel, um, I did feel a sense of call to something else. I just wasn't sure what. And so I ignored it for a while, right? Um, and again, by the way, <laughs> do not do as I do in this instance. This is just telling you all my flaws, you know, included. But I, I ignored it for a while, you know, life was busy. We had stuff to do. Um, but then I stopped ignoring it. And I started to think about it. Christy and I started to have our walks talking about it. Started to contemplate this on, um, you know, on our yearly vacation. And over the last uh, couple of years, I began to realize, you know, through a number of events that I won't get into, that the Lord was calling me to something else. And the something else, in my case, was to take an extended time to invest in my family in ways that are incompatible with, with uh, being a pastor. And I'll tell you that I say that because I want you to hear the context, right? The context was first Terry, you know, and then this mystery meeting that he wanted to have. Um, I, I will tell you that I actually found a guy from the, the Presbytery. I was so interested in this. I happened to be at a meeting with a guy who was from New Hampshire, and which is the same presbytery as this church in Maine, and I, he was able to actually tell me the story of what happened. So that was pretty helpful. Wasn't as good as Terry telling it, but he was able to kind of guess at what Terry might have said, and so I, I appreciated that. But it started with that, and then you know, over time, the Lord made it clear that he said, you know, I do have something else for you, and I have something else for Ironworks. Um, and, and there was a couple pieces to that. There was a sense that God was calling me to something, right, which Terry had kind of highlighted years earlier. And then there was also the sense that God has really blessed this church and has prepared you for this time. So that is what's happening. This is my last uh, service as the called pastor of this church. Um, I do hope to be here as a regular person. Do hope to uh, do pulpit supply now and again if uh, the session, you know, is interested in that. Um, But this is my last sermon. And so the Wednesday men were saying, some of them, you know, Darren, why this passage? And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, when a pastor transitions, most of the time, pastor is moving on to some other church, right, and wants to say goodbye. I plan to still be here. I still plan to honor the lifetime warranty guarantee of membership in Ironworks Church. So I actually uh, had someone who left the church a few years ago I met with for lunch the other day, and, you know, and he questioned me on it. He said, Darren, are you going to honor this warranty? And I said, yes, I will. I will, I, will, I will pick up the phone if need be in, in a couple of years if, if, uh, if that happens. So he was reassured and he said, okay, fine, we will come tonight then. <laughs> we will come to your party then if you plan to make do on this. Um, so what I wanted to do, I don't want this to be some long goodbye because I don't think it is goodbye. Uh, but instead I thought, you know, what I want to do is I want to exhort you one last time, right? 
I want, I want to make my final sermon uh, an attempt to bless you one last time um, and to enable uh, and to share my heart with you for what I hope will happen in this season. So I've titled the sermon, How to Grow in Every Way. And that comes from verse 15, where Paul says, um, we are to grow up in every way into him. Right, so how to grow in every way. And, and friends, that has been my heart for 11 years. Uh, it remains my heart today is that you would grow uh, both individually in your joy in God, in your sense of his presence, in your love for him, uh, in your uh, ability to pray and to hear from him in prayer and to see your prayers answered. Secondly, though, my desire is that this church corporately would grow in every way. I was meeting with uh, one of our staff uh, a couple weeks ago, and she said, Darren, what do you think my focus for this time should be? What should we do as a staff, right, in this transition time? And, you know, I had a different answer for the pastoral team versus the, you know, more executive staff. And I said, look, as a staff member, I think you have one mission. Do what you can to see that this church would grow. And friends, I want to tell you that that's really your mission from, from my perspective over the next season Right, this is a season of growth. That, that is the sense that I have. Right? I've, I've uh, witnessed from, from afar churches growing during times of leadership transition, and I believe that that is a very significant possibility for our community. Right? Grow numerically, grow in your love for God, grow in your relationships with others, grow in friendship, right? and grow in devotion. I think that that is the will of Christ for you today. And that is what I would like to challenge you to do and to be part of over the next season. Um, however, that, uh, that is a particular challenge, and, and it's a challenge especially so during a leadership transition, right? During a leadership transition, this is, I believe, um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just kind of, what do they call it, blow sunshine? I don't know how to say it in a way that's appropriate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's my last day, so I can just say whatever I want. <laughs> uh, I don't want to blow sunshine, you know, where the sun don't shine. But um, this is going to be the greatest challenge that Ironworks has ever faced, right? You know, God has blessed our church with uh, an enormous amount of health and vibrancy over the years. Um, but I do believe that this transition is going to be the biggest challenge that Ironworks has ever faced. Um, so how is it that God would have you grow in every way over this season both individually with your walk with Jesus Christ and then together corporately, right? How can home groups be at their most vibrant place? How can the service teams be well-staffed so we don't have to close nursery, right? How can uh, the church grow numerically? How can our mission move forward with Renaissance Academy? We have doing our lunch uh, was, was recently announced and is in a way that God has grown the church in the past. How can we uh, attack the powers of evil by serving this city in a way that is uh, unusual, in a way that has been recognized by uh, the non-Christian community in our town? How can we do that? How can we grow in every way? The passage gives us uh, some instruction. It basically breaks it out on two parts that I want to highlight for us this morning. The first thing is to grow as a Christian, to grow as a community, it requires a certain kind of relationship with other people. That's actually what, where the apostle will go first. Right? He says, if you're going to grow in every way, you have to have a certain kind of relationship with other people in the church. Right? Where do I see that? Well, 
Uh, look at verse 3. He says, he says, this is how I want you to walk. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, right? As Americans or Westerners, we often immediately go to our individual devotion, like, oh, we have to just, you know, do the right, walk the walk and talk the talk. We have to do all these things. But then in verse 3, what does he say? He says, you need to uh, walk in this way so as to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then the most repeated word in the passage is the word one, oneness, right? Living in unity with other people. And friends, I'll tell you that one of the observations I have from 11 years of ministry is that when you have people who are different from each other, right? You know, when you have different interests, different cultures, different political views, right? Different convictions. When you have people who are different in any way, living in unity over several years is very hard. It is very hard, right? Um, Previous to our transition, what was the greatest challenge that Ironworks ever faced, right? It was COVID, right? It was COVID and then political controversy that ensued. Those two seasons highlighted how challenging it is to actually live out this passage in your relationships with one another when your differences begin to be highlighted more than they previously were. So how do we do that? Well, uh, the first thing I want to do is I want the kids to do their second drawing. So kids, draw yourself together with others who look different from you, hammering boards together to build a local church, right? And if the kids went on the mission trip, I think some of them hammered boards. <laughs> so that'll be a good uh, visual. But yeah, draw yourself uh, with others who look different from yourself, hammering boards together to build the local church. So how do we do that? How do we have real friendship with folks that we have some differences with? Well, what does the passage say? Uh, the first thing that Paul says is he says, uh, doing this work, right, doing the hard work of friendship, particularly with folks that you might not ordinarily have friendship with, doing that hard work is precisely the way that you walk in accordance with the calling of God. That's verse one. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you know uh, your Pauline epistles, you know that in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, our favorite verse, right? For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. Right after that, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has predestined for us to walk in, right? So God has given you works to walk in. And he picks back up on this theme and saying, this is the work that you are to walk in. You are to walk in such a way that you have robust relationships with other people in the church and a measure of unity that the world cannot explain, right? That, and that is how you walk in a manner worthy of, of the call of God. So how do we do that? Well, the first uh, instruction he gives us in verse 2 is he says, you do it with all humility. Right? And friends, I mean, I want to beat this dead horse too much, right? I, and I've said this a lot over the last weeks, but the greatest superpower to human friendship that I have ever seen, the way to have friendship when you, you know, when, when someone is bothering you, the greatest uh, threat to friendship and the greatest 
uh, help to friendship, right, or the opposite things, is to not take yourself too seriously, right? Is to recognize your own issues and then to be patient with the issues of your friend, right? The greatest threat to friendship, particularly when it's strained, is arrogance, right? Is arrogance. And arrogance, when, when you're in a state of arrogance, when you're caught up in that, you cannot see clearly the issues and you typically act as such, right? So the very first thing he says is, uh, live in humility towards one another, right? What does that look like, right? It doesn't look downplaying your own abilities. It looks like not taking yourself too seriously and being really patient towards others, which interestingly enough is two words after humility is patience, right? And it, genuine humility what does it look like? It looks like not taking yourself too seriously. It looks like being patient with others. It looks like becoming, this is really tangible, a better listener. You want to know if you're growing in humility? Right? People are always confused about this. They say, well, I don't think I'm as good at so-and-so anymore. No. If you want to know if you're growing in humility, ask your spouse, if you have one, or ask another friend, say, do you feel like I'm becoming a better listener? That's a great question, great diagnostic question. Do you feel like I'm becoming a better listener? If you have kids, ask your kids this, right? Ask your kids if they can tell that you are trying to do better listening to them, particularly the kids that talk incessantly, right? Great, great place to apply <laughs> to this work of this passage. And what Paul says is that this is the way that we walk in a manner worthy, and this is the way that we walk united, right, is that we embrace humility. This, the, um, the second and third thing he says is that we're gentle with people, right? We respond to each other gently. And, you know, this goes hand in hand with humility. When you don't take, when you take yourself too seriously, most of the time, most of the time, gentleness goes out the window. And I want to make, you know, confessions of a pastor. Sometimes when there's conflict in the church, and we haven't had a lot of it, but we've had some one of the things that I have learned to not believe, I just want to be honest with you, and this might be my fault, okay? You can tell me if this is your fault. But when someone's really angry and, you know, starting to send letters, you know, hate mail, one of the things that I laugh at, I have to be honest with you, I laugh at, you get this hate mail, and someone says, Darren, I have been praying about this. And, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, bull, dude. <laughs> like, no, you haven't. I was like, I guarantee you have it. I would like to be part of those prayer sessions. I would like to understand how the Spirit is producing this work in you, right? I think you're taking yourself too seriously. That's what I think. I don't think this is the work of the Spirit. I've seen the work of the Spirit. It doesn't, doesn't usually look like this. It doesn't mean I'm right, right, about whatever the issue is. But it does mean that, like, I, I, to tell you, I do not believe it when people say, I have been prayerful about this. That's actually the more common language. I've been prayerful about the fact that I hate you. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. I'm prayerful about this. I'm like, you know, I don't know. Anyway, we, I, I get to chuckle at that a little bit, right? And, and I say that, right, because in our passage, what we see here is that, you know, we'll, we'll get to this in a second, when, when you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't look that way. What does it look like? Humility, gentleness, patience. And then what's the next phrase that comes up? Bearing with, right? Let's think about that language, bearing with. 
What does it mean to bear with someone? Well, to bear is to carry the weight. It's to carry the burden, right? Someone's having a hard day. They end up vomiting all over you verbally, right? And instead of uh, giving it right back to them, you carry it. Say, I will, you know, I'm not taking myself too seriously. I know you're going through a hard time. I'm just going to be really patient. I'm going to listen. You know, maybe at some point if this goes on repeatedly, I'll try my best to intervene with you. But for now, I'm just going to bear with. And what we find here is that, you know, because the, the next person that will come up in verse 3 is who? Who is connected to all of these things? Who is the author of your ability to be humble? Who's the author of your ability to be gentle? Who's the author of your ability to be patient? Who's the author of your ability to bear with someone else? Who is it? It is the Holy Spirit, right? Verse 3, you see him there? Eager to maintain what? The unity of of the spirit, right? This is, you know, all of these abilities, right? All of these things are products, right? Or to use Westminster Confession language, they flow from the spirit. Meaning, right, I think I'm on good ground when I get that hate mail to curse in response to it, (laughs) right? Because the spirit, connection with the spirit means that you respond in these ways. Right? It means that you respond with patience, with gentleness, with bearing with, right? Probably shouldn't curse in your heart in response. That's not from the Spirit, right? But it's better to curse in your heart, take a few minutes, and then reply, I love you, and, you know, I'm, you know I want to be patient with you, right? Uh, so that's where we are. So the first thing is, you know, and friends, I can't highlight this enough, right? But, like, one of the things we've learned at Ironworks over 11 years is that we have you know, a number of different folks come, and there's always folks who come but never develop friendship in the church, right? They don't go to home group long enough to make it past the awkward stage, right? So if you're new to the church, I'll tell you, I really hope you go to a home group, and I wanna tell you, for the first nine months, it's gonna be awkward. You're not gonna wanna go the next week. You're gonna wanna like Netflix and chill or you know, go throw your glider or something, right? And the glider, I understand, but what we found is that if you don't do the hard work, and it's hard work, it's not easy, it's not just natural. You don't do the hard work of friendship in, I think it's close to 100% of the cases, you will leave the church, right? We've seen that over and over and over again. There are some churches where folks can stay for 10 years and never develop you know, a real friendship, not go to home group, not be involved in community. Ironworks is not one of those churches, and that's actually by design. Right? Ironworks has always been designed to be a place that facilitates real, genuine friendship, and that becomes the reason that people stay at this church, not any pastor or staff, music style, uh, anything else, right? That has been the reason. That is the reason that Ironworks is where it is today, and that is one of the reasons that I am confident to hand this over to other leaders and not freak out, because Ironworks' superpower has never been the pastor. It's always been you, It's always been your friendships. It's always been the Holy Spirit working together in community, right? So if you you do nothing else, I exhort you in this season, Josh Olson has been hired to uh, be our director of congregational care. One of his main responsibilities is to take control of home groups and to try to bring them to the next level. And if you don't go to home group currently, right, I I would exhort you to, to reconsider, stay 
until you develop real friends. It will take at least nine months, right? So starting this October, when they start up again, uh, I would like to exhort you to go every single week. Do not miss one until nine months has passed. And if you don't have a friend at that point, I don't know, leave the church, I guess. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, seriously, like if it's not working, it doesn't work for everyone. But if you haven't done it for nine months, you know, it's, it's likely not to work. So that's the first thing, is that you have to have relationships with other people uh, that contain the, these qualities here uh, that we see. Um, the next thing I want you to do, kids to do is, kids, I want you to draw a boat with a group of people who look different from one another being shaken by big waves, right? Or being tossed about by big waves. So draw a boat, draw the same group of people, but this time they're in a boat and they're being shaken. We're going to get to that just in a second. So the first part of the passage predominantly focuses on your relationships with one another. Here's the question, right? You know, there's a certain kind of unity that I am exhorting you to here today, right? And, And Ironworks, again, is unique in this regard in that we've always said we want you to be really unified with one another, but we want you to not take the pastors that seriously, right? Like, we don't want them to be like a focus. We don't want the church to be pastor-centric. That has always been our ethos, right? And, it, you know, if you think about the most unified people that you've ever seen, you know, oftentimes, <laughs> it's actually the cults, right? Like, if, I, if you've ever been around people part of a cult, they're very outwardly at least unified, aren't they? They all say the exact same thing. They all believe exactly the same things. They don't veer off from the script, right? And look, I mean, does anyone have a favorite cult? I don't have a favorite cult, but, but you know, we used to, my son and I were remembering when uh, one of them, Jehovah's Witnesses, came to our door, and I was showing off my son's catechism skills about the persons and the Godhead and, you know, walking down some good memory lanes, right? But it's wild because as we would receive the Jehovah's Witnesses, one of the things we learned is like, wow, they seem really unified, right? And at Ironworks, we want to be the most opposite of a cult, right? We don't want a leader to have uh, too much influence, too much power. We want you guys to have a different kind of unity. What does that unity look like? Answer, it is where you are in unity with the Holy Spirit, and that unity provides unity with each other, right? And that's what the passage is saying. He says, I want you to bear with one another. Why? Verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body, that's church, and there's one Spirit, meaning Christian, Christianity, Christian faith is not united in a leader. It's not united in a pope. It's not united in a pastor. It is united in the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and friends, as I've, I said this a couple of weeks ago, that you know, the thing that you ought to long for the most in your own life is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, he goes into uh, one of the sacraments. He says, you know, there's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, there's one God. Right? Lean into the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that look like? Right? What does it look like to be in unity with the Holy Spirit? I wonder if, does anyone know? Right? You know, we're not charismatic here, although I am sometimes a closet charismatic. <laughs> a little bit. Um, right? What does it look like to be in unity with the Holy Spirit? Well, I wonder if the passage gives us any hint or any clue. What does it look like in the Holy Spirit? Well, I had the kids draw um, this boat of the waves because 
what Paul is going to do is he's going to bring up a scenario in which the church will be tossed and shaken and persecuted. And he says, look, in order to, to make it through these things, in order to uh, make it through the waves, you're going to need what I'm talking about. You're going to need a unity with the Holy Spirit. You're going to need a unity with one another. You're going to need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what he highlights in verse 8, this is what he says here. Uh, excuse me, actually, in verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he, he cites, he says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Right? What does it look like to be in touch with the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer from this passage says, seems to suggest to be in touch with the Holy Spirit is to be in touch with your own giftedness. Right? He says, when Christ ascended into heaven, he gives gifts to people. What's he talking about? He's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? How do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? Well, there's a number of ways to answer that from Galatians 5 and other places. But from this passage, you know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit because you are serving effectively in the way that that Spirit has gifted you, right? And by the way, this is why, as a pastor, I have tried so hard to help you serve well, right? A lot of times, pastors are just under pressure, right? We have no one in the nursery, right? Oh, what's going on? No one in the nursery. What's going on with that? You know, we just got to get people in the nursery. And that has never been the priority for me, I'll tell you, right? It's never been the priority for Laura, right? Our priority has always been, you need to serve because God has called you to and gifted you to and when you're serving dysfunctionally, meaning not in the way that you're gifted or you're not serving at all, right, or, or, or you're serving for the wrong reasons, there is a dysfunction in your life that has to be remedied, right? And that's oftentimes the catalyst for great conflict in the church. You know, and it's one of the reasons I think, by the way, COVID was our greatest challenge. You know, COVID was, we could say a whole lot about it, right? Should I say a whole lot about it? <laughs> I see that hand. Um, why was COVID such a great challenge? Well, one of the reasons for the church, and I think the biggest reason for the church was, uh, as a pastor, my, my strategy for dealing with disunity in the church has always been to focus on mission, right? To say, oh, the church is like, you know, struggling with disunity. What's the greatest, I think, cause of disunity in the church? Oftentimes, it's boredom. <laughs> You're bored, right? When people get bored, they get into trouble. And so uh, what we've often said is we've said, you know, we need to, f you know, we have to focus on our mission because God has called us to it. And God has also made sure that if we don't focus on it, that we'll implode, right? That we will, and there's a word for it in church circles called becoming ingrown. Anyone ever have an ingrown toenail, right? That is one of the worst suffering, I think. You know, people, my wife talks about childbirth, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds hard, but, you know, have you ever had an ingrown toenail? <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, I'm, I know, I think I know, and I think this is, you know, rises to that level. She did punch me in the face one time. No, I'm just kidding. She only threatens to, right? But yeah, they call it being ingrown. And so what God has designed is he's designed you to be on mission for him. He's designed you to be about his work, and in my, in my personal opinion, that was actually the greatest challenge of COVID. It was not disagreements or whatever. It was mission had to take a back seat. 
right? We weren't even allowed to go do a lot of the stuff that we did. And then, you know, I, I want to really highlight uh, the leadership of Patrick and, and Kathleen and others with Phoenixville Refuge. It's sort of birthed out of COVID, I think, with, as a work of the Holy Spirit, of folks saying, you know what, we're going to go do this. We're going to go serve this community. This community will let us serve them. Let's go do it, right? And God, has ble- God really brought a lot of blessing through that work. And so I thank you guys for your efforts, and I, and I praise God for what has been done. And, you know, uh, it makes sense, right, because the whole passage uh, from the second paragraph on is about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts to serve, and then gifts of leaders and officers, right? And so uh, how do you connect with the Holy Spirit? How do you uh, embrace the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of ways to answer that, but from this passage, one of the primary ways you do that is you embrace the gifting that God has given you, and you serve in that strength, right? And he goes on to talk about the gifts of leaders, and this is one that I do want to highlight for you, and that's verse 11, and he says, so he's talking first about, I think, the spiritual gifts, right? Um, and, And I would highlight that he gives a variety of gifts. He makes you different on purpose. That's his design, right? It's one of the ways to embrace humility is to recognize that people are different by God's design, and so that should be considered sacred and not annoying. Um, Secondly, though, in verse 11, he says, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, another word, shepherd is another word for pastor in the Greek, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And look at verse 13. This is the goal. This is the goal of God uh, in pastoral ministry, right? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 14, kids, why have you draw this? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So friends, when you read, when you read this word crafty and you read this word deceit, what that should highlight for you in the, in the language of Paul is it highlights satanic activity, right? And we last sermon was about that, right? So he's saying Satan is real, and we, we are, Peter, you know, talked about the roaring lion. Well, what is, what, what is his goal, his mission, his strategy? What are his schemes? How does he plan to sabotage your faith? And answer from this passage is he wants you to be like, you know, an unanchored boat on high waves just kind of floating around by every wind of doctrine, right? Every controversy, uh, and ultimately, with the goal that you would be absolutely disunified with one another, right? Because God's goal is that you would have the unity of the faith, the unity of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so, how do we protect against that? And the answer is, is that he gives us a certain kind of leadership. And I want to just say, friends, that like, you know, God has, I think, really blessed Ironworks in this way, right? You know, I have pastor colleagues and you know, the sense I get from most of them is that they're all jealous of what I have here at Ironworks, right? That you are really a pleasure to lead. You know, and I think there's a whole lot of reasons for that. I mean, you, uh, you have been gracious, you have been patient, you have worked hard, uh, you have been faithful, you had given generously, you know, you, you've not made mountains out of mohills very much, right? You have been a real pleasure to, to lead in this way. Um, but, but leadership is really important. And one of the ways uh, that God has really blessed us, it's on our session, 
right? So we have, I think, the absolute best session that I have ever heard about. And, you know, what the session's uh, job is to do, right, as these folks who have been given, right, we understand that some of these words will ultimately be fulfilled in this office of presbyteros or um, overseer, pastor, is that the session exists, you know, primarily to make sure the pastor doesn't begin teaching wacky things, right? You know, and at Ironworks, uh, that's always been kind of my answer to folks is I say, look, we believe in the Westminster Confession. I don't read N.T. Wright, right? I don't read new stuff. I don't read a lot, actually. <laughs> I know that's a problem. I'm working on that, um, right? But we don't, we don't get into that. We're just content to kind of believe the ancient paths and to try to do our best to share them with you uh, and to walk in them. And friends, I'll tell you that, you know, that is what God is asking of uh, our leaders, is he's saying, you know, we want you to help folks attain the unity of the knowledge of God, that's doctrine, right, to avoid being tossed about by every wind, every wave, uh, and he gives you leaders to do that. And I'll tell you that as I look at our interim leadership, as I look at Pastor Sam, as I look at Josh Olson, as I look at our session, and then we have um, diaconal and uh, session candidates that we're going to be presenting to you as soon as this week, maybe, right? I see God's hand of great provision. I see his hand of awesome provision. And my hope is that you will embrace uh, these men and that you will follow them and, you know, hold them accountable by all means, challenge them by all means, um, but do so in accordance with the teaching of this passage. And if you do, if you embrace one another, if you embrace your giftedness from the Spirit, and if you embrace the leadership uh, that God provides, uh, seems to suggest in verse 15 that growth is basically guaranteed. And friends, I'll tell you, I have believed this, right, that there are, that God has designed a church family that if it's functioning in a way that's healthy, right, meaning with the Spirit, with one another, right, with functions, with functional leadership, with structures that make sense, with leaders that are, you know, not abusive and all this. If, the God, if God has given a church those things in 99.999% of time, right, and there are some exceptions, the church will always grow numerically, right? That, that's that's a, a theory that I have subscribed to and uh, I believe I've seen, right? There are some exceptions, you know, and, and that... But the will of God is that you would grow up in every way, grow up in your knowledge of Christ, highlighted here. Um, and then I believe from other places in, in Scripture that you will grow numerically as well. So that is what uh, my hope for you is. And friends, um, all of these gifts, right, because these are gifts that are highlighted, all of these gifts have been purchased by Jesus Christ. So kids, for your last drawing, what I want you to do is draw a large cross and then draw people around that cross who look differently from one another. Right, so when he says here in uh, verse 7, he says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, right? And then he talks about in verse 8, he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And then in verse 9, you know, you have to look at verse 9, Paul cannot help. Anytime he's afforded the opportunity, he cannot help but going into the gospel, right? He cannot help but going into the gospel. And so what does he say? He says, in saying he ascended, what does that mean but that he also descended? And of course, he's talking about Christ leaving his place in heaven, 
right? Philippians chapter two, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? What's the word? Humbled himself. Christ humbles himself just as he is calling you to do so in this passage. He humbles himself, becoming obedient to the will of God, even to the will of God that involves death on a cross. And it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him to the name above every name's. And your ability to live in community with one another, your ability to have real friendship after nine months of awkward home group, your ability to see this church grow in the time of transition, your ability to not take yourselves too seriously, but to be really patient towards people that are really frustrating you, like all of those things are considered gifts. Where did Christ purchase them from? What resources did he offer to provide them? Answer, his death on the cross, right? Paul can't help but go into the incarnation and then into the exaltation. And so we're gonna come to this table and friends, uh, I hope that this is a breakthrough day for you, right? I hope that perhaps some of you are here and you don't even believe at all. If you wanna know what, what are we even doing, you know, and this was a really long sermon, what's going on? Well, I would tell you that what we're doing is we were celebrating the death of Jesus Christ for really messed up sinful people who have been called to live together in community, right? And he has done that so that you can give him your sins and he will give you his righteousness, that you can be today 100% pure, holy, and righteous in his sight. That when God looks at you, he will say, I find no fault in you. I find zero fault in you. And that is what we're going to celebrate at this table. So I hope that we can approach it together and come here together as one community. Would you please stand with us?